Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are the Classic, the classic Gaming, Gaming Brothers. Brothers. What a day. What a day. What a dollar. That is uh, that is producer Doug's catchphrase. He has that on his uh, license plate. It's a very long license plate. I think it's European. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't think he has a, a United States license plate. He said that no. that's fine. <laughs> yeah, he said he was allowed to drive here. And then sometimes he drives on the wrong side of the road. That's right. We're not sure where he's from producer doug we just know he likes his cigars and his fancy hats and his beans and his spider-man pictures so welcome to another episode of classic gaming brothers thanks i've never really welcomed you i know you've been the rudest guest ever (laughs) (laughs) i know i'm sorry wait wouldn't i be the host if i'm welcoming you oh yeah you'd be the rudest host ever yeah if i was the guest i'd just be sitting here waiting to be welcomed just like all those guests that we keep in the little welcome area we haven't let them in yet we're just keeping them we're keeping them locked in just in case this is a weird way to start an episode. Yeah, you know, I was thinking we're getting close to episode 200. We are very close to episode 200. And I have to remind you that episode 200 is going to be about presidential video games. Yeah, I know. You don't have to remind me, I know. Are you scared? About presidential video games? Yeah. Why are they scary? Some might be. Are they going to come after me? No, not as scary as Harvester. No, Harvester is kind of a weird game. I'm thinking we play Harvester on uh, Extra Life. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I, ha- I'm pretty sure I own it. Yeah, I, I think we, we all own it now. Speaking of games, Seth, what have you been recently playing? Uh, recently, I've been playing Conquest of the Longbow, The Legend of Robin Hood. It's a graphical adventure game designed by Christy Marks and published by Sierra Online in 1991. It's a great classic point-and-click adventure game that I booted up and was like, oh yeah, these early 90s games move very slow. When you try to walk across from one side of the screen to the next, and I don't know what the skip button is, so my character just slowly walked. In the game, you play as Robin Hood, and you are to collect money to pay off the ransom of uh, King Richard I so you can put your favorite king back on the throne all while avoiding the Sheriff of Nottingham. Each day you need to accomplish various tasks. Fun fact, you don't have to do them. Uh, In fact, you can skip critical tasks causing you to get a worse ending. The endings, I believe, are the worst ending, Robin Hood is captured and killed. The second worst ending is Robin Hood is captured and pardoned of his crimes. The third worst ending ending or this i guess the second best ending is robin hood's captured pardoned and given like a reward but no maid marion and the best ending is robin hood is knighted or made a lord and as wedded to maid marion so there's a couple of different endings all while trying to get scores in a classic point and click adventure game with the score where clicking random things gives you random points i like in the beginning of the game you wake up in a cave and all your merry men are outside eating and then they're all like we don't want to hear this bard singing so we're all going to flee. So then they flee and two of them, uh, Will and um, some random new person who I don't believe is a canon merry man, go up and they're shooting target practices and you can go, oh, I'm Robin Hood. I'm really good at shooting. But then you go into a mini game where you have to sh- actually shoot and it's really tough. So then you miss your target and then they go, wow, I guess we should have bet against you today because that shot was bad. <laughs> 
and which is i think is pretty funny that uh you can just be bad at shooting as robin hood who is infamously a famous shot i also believe it is one of the most researched games of its time so the game has a bibliography and in it it references 28 volumes of books all referencing the historical robin hood if you like um classic adventure games and you like the scum engine check out conquest of the longbow the legend of robin hood and you can play through a historical rendition of uh of robin hood zach yes Seth. what have you been playing recently i've been playing alien trilogy released in 1996 by probe entertainment the game was released on ps1 sega saturn and ms dos i've been playing the ms dos version it's based on the three alien films and in the game you play as ellen ripley and you must fight xenomorphs and facehuggers you start the game out with uh, a pistol and later you find various weapons uh such as a shotgun you also find a flamethrower and a pulse rifle which is just a fancy name for a machine gun the game utilizes a motion detector device which is kind of neat so whenever you're walking you kind of get the slow footstep sound as, as you're walking down the empty hallways and then on your little motion detector you'll see the little blip appear of either a face hugger or a xenomorph the game is pretty neat uh, it's kind of done in a doom style uh, first person shooter engine so everything is a little flat but that being said the animations are really nice uh, they actually did mocap for some of the animations I heard which is nice and cool and uh yeah overall good game and it would be cool if night dive were to make a remake of it i think that would be really nice so if night dive if you're listening please do that anyway that's that's what i've been playing today's episode we're going to be talking about some heroes some heroes in a half shell who have what we call turtle power those heroes are in fact the teenage mutant ninja turtles seth what are your memories of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? What are my memories of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? My core memories of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are the uh, the 1987 cartoon, of which, when we were a child, we had one episode on VHS <laughs> recorded, and it felt like a movie, and we would watch it. That was only a half hour long? Yeah. When you're a kid, half hour is like four hours. Uh, it was I uh, the episode Enter the Rat King, and it introduces the Rat King as a villain, and they fight him. I don't know if there was another episode, but... It it was definitely just one a uh, couple of episodes that we had recorded uh it was along the same lines of having a, a couple of random episodes of spider-man and his amazing friends which were also randomly recorded well we had like an actual tape of spider-man and his amazing friends it wasn't like we recorded it it was like a produced tape from the company the teenage mutant ninja turtle ones the spider-man one was at least because i still have that tape it has like the label and everything on it and a bunch of wow. commercials yeah, it was like one of the releases that they did of just that episode, apparently. Well, to be fair, that episode's a very important episode because the X-Men are in it. But yeah, we had Enter the Rat King. That was on a VHS tape that was recorded. I don't believe it wasn't a merchandised product. And then uh, I do remember, I believe the Roller Rink had the arcade uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles games. Yeah. And my thought was upon seeing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles games, I was always happy and sad at the same time i was happy because it was a good arcade beat-em-up game i was sad because it was not the x-men arcade beat-em-up game so i always felt personally that the teenage mutant ninja turtles arcade game was second fiddle to the x-men arcade game but it was still a good play yeah i mean they're basically the same game they're both made by konami <laughs> oh for sure they are the sa- it's same with the simpsons game yeah they're all the same game but the x-men one is the superior one it's true zach what about you do you have any memories i mean most of my memories i think i diffused from you because growing up with seth meant i watched a lot of things that seth watched so when seth watched the rat king episode of teenage mutant ninja turtles so did zach i think i had a couple of friends who were also 
also had a couple of tapes of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I remember watching that when it was uh, when I was over their house. And I remember playing one of the Sega games. I think it was Hyperstone Heist. And I don't really remember playing the arcade until recent, like in the past few years. I played it, obviously, but I don't remember playing it when it was like relevant. I remember playing it in, in more modern era. Just don't look up what an actual Rat King is in real life. Oh, I was going to say that too. Yeah, no, it's gross. Rat King, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle villain, he's a homeless man with rats on him. Rat King in real life is when rats get tangled up. <laughs> Yeah, it's gross. Anyway, what's not gross is the history of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was conceived by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Kevin met Peter when he was looking to work for a local underground newspaper. Peter at the time was working for a local paper in Dover, New Hampshire. <laughs> I have a question. <laughs> what? Was it a specific newspaper that he wanted to work for? Or did he just want to work for a newspaper that was underground? I think he just wanted to work for a newspaper that was underground. He's like, I don't want reputable news and newspaper experience. I want to go work for some sketchy stuff. I mean, this is early 80s. So this guy was probably like, I want to be cool and hip. I want to write edgy articles. Edgy, edgy, edgy. So uh, they ended up meeting because Peter at the time was working for a local paper in Dover, New Hampshire and Kevin lived in nearby Northampton, Massachusetts. After meeting, the two began working on various comic projects through a company that they founded called Mirage Studios that they operated out of the home that they owned. One of those self-published comics that they would create was drawn entirely in black and white and would be released in May of 1984. That was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The story at the time was considered a parody of other superhero comics and actually is a bit more, I'm not going to say it was adult, but it definitely was less catered toward kids. It was more for an older audience and more graphic. It took elements from New Teen Titans, Uncanny X-Men, and Daredevil. In fact, the first issue of TMNT has a direct reference to Daredevil when it shows that the radioactive ooze that gave the turtles their power is the same substance that blinded Matt Murdock. They obviously they obviously can't say it's Matt Murdock because they didn't own the rights to that, but they do show a boy crossing the street getting splashed in the eye with ooze, and then it later shows him dressed in a costume that's very much the Daredevil costume. The turtles were named after Italian Renaissance artists, Leonardo da Vinci, Donatello, Raphael, and Michelangelo. These names were picked because Laird felt they were quote-unquote just quirky enough to fit the concept. The name for the turtle sensei, Splinter, was directly inspired by Daredevil sensei, Stick, which I never realized Daredevil had a sensei named Stick. Oh yeah, Stick's like an old man that uses a stick. And in the uh, live action movie, he's taught by a sensei how to do all his moves. Oh yeah, no, he is. Well, he watches like he watches as, as a rat. But perhaps, what if that's what if that's Stick? I thought it was actually Shredder. No, it was Shredder's nemesis. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. The one thing I remember about that movie is Raphael wearing a trench coat and yelling, Come back here! I'm not finished with you! Damn! Do you remember him getting hit by a car? That too. That's really funny. And like some taxi cab drivers like, well, it's just New York. <laughs> we should watch that movie. We got a lot of movies we got to watch for uh, the classic movie brothers. Anyway, they advertised their comic through Comic Buyer's Guide magazine and funded the publications by using money from a tax refund and a small loan from Kevin's uncle. The comic drew immediate attention from various people and they quickly sold out of the 3,000 issues of the printing within the first few months. 1987, Eastman and Laird really began to make a name for themselves when they signed a licensing deal with Playmates Toys. 
Between 1988 and 1997, Playmates produced around 400 TMNT figures, dozens of vehicles, and playsets. In four years, it was estimated that around $1.1 billion would be made just from the toys alone, becoming the third best-selling toy line of all time, just under G.I. Joe in Star Wars. And uh, this was back before it was frowned upon to do this, but in order to sell toys, you should have a television series. And a television series was born to help promote the line. The show became an influential to the legacy of the characters, introducing their color-coded masks, catchphrases, love of pizza, and their distinctive personalities. And this show was brought to other countries, it was localized, with a notable change going to the UK, where the franchise was renamed Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, because ninjas are too violent for the UK. Now, in 1989, like all great TV shows based on a toy line, based on a comic book, what do you need? A video game produced by none other than Konami. Specifically, (laughs) Konami. They make all the best comic, toy, TV show games, including... Arguably, the X Men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which also had games by Konami, and X Men was a comic book that became a toy line that went on to become a TV show. I think one of the interesting things about a television show linked to a toy line is that every episode of the TV show, you can just introduce a different thing that could be represented by a toy, and then you can make the toy for that thing. Which is why the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for being turtles in their teenage years, living underground, have a lot of vehicles. They have a van. They have a blimp. They've got, I think they got motorcycles. They got all sorts of fun stuff. But they made vehicles so that they could sell vehicles as a toy. Which is why it eventually became a law that companies couldn't do this anymore. But anyway, back to video games. Konami made a game and it was for the Nintendo Entertainment System called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was released alongside a beat-em-up arcade unit, also called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And the games are not the same. So the Nintendo Entertainment System game is a platformer where you play as either of the four turtles. And you start as Leonardo, but you can switch between each turtle throughout. Uh, You travel around an overhead map, and when you enter a stage, you'll switch into a side-scrolling perspective. So you'll go down like a a, a manhole, and you go down a sewer hole, and you'll go to the side-scrolling levels. Kind of like Mario, except simpler. From here, you must uh, platform around and fight through various enemies, such as Mouser robots, which are made by Baxter Stockman, Foot Ninjas, and Service of Shredder, or other assorted enemies. The game is split into six missions, the Streets of New York, Hudson River Dam, Wall Street Rooftops, JFK Airport, South Bronx Lair, and the Technodrome. And the bosses consist of the usual suspects, uh, Bebop, Rocksteady, Mecha Turtle, Big Mouser, the Technodrome itself, and finally, Shredder. Now, the game was also released outside the US, and there are some some regional differences. In the Japanese version, titled Gekikame Ninja Den, Legend of the Radical Ninja Turtles, they decided to make April O'Neil Splinter's daughter, not just a friend of the turtles. So I think they're going with the canon that Splinter was a human turned into a rat. <laughs> I don't think they were just uh, having fun with weirdness over there. I think they were following the, the canon. Well, there's two canons. Right, right. The, the TV show canon. Yes, the TV show canon is that Splinter was a man who became a rat 
rat who hung out with some turtles who became men. And in the <laughs> latest movie, there is another canon where Splinter and the turtles were animals that become anthropomorphized. They also become the size of humans. Yeah. Yeah. Which arguably would be a very interesting version of the show if they were all just still animal sized. Yes. But they were ninjas. It's like the moment they leave the sewer, they just get hit by a car and they all die. Um, that's Have you seen the movie yet? The newest one? Yeah. I haven't seen the newest, newest one. You should watch that movie because what you just described, <laughs> what you described happens in the movie. In the latest movie, Splinter is a older rat and thus he becomes older than the turtles when he becomes turned into Splinter form. Funny enough, uh, Splinter in the new movie is played by uh, he's voiced by Jackie Chan, and he apparently watched martial arts movies and television shows in order to learn martial arts. I think it's actually a VHS tape that he watches in order to learn martial arts. Where in the live action, he is still a rat, but he's a rat that learns martial arts from a martial artist. And then uh, in the cartoon, he is a martial artist who becomes a rat. So anyway, in the Japanese version, we're going with the he was a human who became a rat and April O'Neil is his daughter. The game was also renamed in the UK and Europe as Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, as we discussed, which sure. Now, the NES game was ported to various home computers, such as DOS, Commodore 64, Amiga, ZX Spectrum, Atari ST, and MSX. The US release for the DOS C64 and Amiga versions were handled directly by Konami under their Ultra Games label. European market was distributed by Mirasoft's ImageWorks label. Uh, Mirasoft is the company that was heavily involved in the whole debacle with Tetris. That's just a fun fact. It's also important to note that the game is tough. The NES game. It's like Nintendo hard tough. There's like an underwater stage where you have to navigate this maze of electrical kelp, I guess. Mm -hmm. And if you touch that kelp, you die. And it's very hard not to touch that kelp. It's it's actually, in old reviews, one of the things people comment as being the worst part of the game. Um, so it was overall very well received and sold well, but later reviews have pointed out some of the gameplay quirks that make the game particularly frustrating. Uh, one such area has this thing where if you try to jump over a certain gap, you get blocked by the ceiling, so you fall down the gap. So you have to, like, just walk across the gap, but you wouldn't know that. You're, you would assume that you would have to jump over it, and every time you jump, you fall down. Now, the arcade game, also released by Konami, in 1989 is a beat-em-up so it plays completely differently you play as one of the four turtles and you must stop the shredder after he kidnaps april o'neill and splinter you travel around various stages as you fight off foot clan soldiers who are color-coded to indicate their attack patterns and their weapon of choice bosses in the game include rocksteady and bebop who at one point team up baxter stockman granator general trag krang and, of course, Shredder himself. The arcade game was released as a dedicated four-player cabinet, as well as a two-player conversion kit. I want to make a quick note on something that I love about Shredder versus his comic appearance in the Mirage comics and then his later appearances. In the Mirage comics, he shows up in the first issue and they fight him by throwing a trash can at him and knocking him off the building and he gets crushed by a garbage truck. Isn't that how he dies in the live action In the, in the movie, yeah, he comes back. <laughs> if you, not if you don't watch the other movies. <laughs> That's true. But I just love that he's like this big bad in the rest of like... Even in the more recent movies, like the live action movies they did, they make him this like mech. Like it's so weird. I also like in the in the 1987 cartoon, he's Krang's assistant. Yeah. <laughs> so like Krang is a general from another dimension, but he's also like a goo brain creature and has no ability to really 
act, so he has to build a robot body. And until he has his robot body, he just has Shredder do all of his work. And Shredder is just like, I need to take control of this. I need he's like needs to exact revenge. And Krang's always like, Well, you gotta do this before you like do the thing that you want to do, Shredder. And so Shredder's like, fine, fine. And uh he just ends up being like Krang's like buddy, and he's really bad at doing what Krang wants done. And Krang is like, no why. Like he's like, he's always calling Shredder out on him not being able to do his job. He's like, Shredder, I don't even know if you can even handle this since you haven't been able to handle all of the other tasks that I've gave you. Krang, stop this tantrum and just tell me what's wrong. What's wrong? I gave you a vital mission and you sent those two ant brain mutants to botch this up. Look, I can't go racing to the surface every time you want some silly bauble. Really interesting how these characters, I guess, are all the same, but in throughout the media, they're always, you know, like they always have kind of like core personalities, but I think they change how they are. They tweak them based on the version and who's writing, which is cool because I think Shredder's always Shredder, but I think sometimes Shredder is a whiny guy and sometimes he's the big bad. Now, the arcade game was ported to the NES in 1990, where it was released as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, the arcade game. Uh, the Roman numeral 2 was added to the title to differentiate it from the NES game that was previously, re previously released. Interestingly enough, the Japanese version of the NES port of the arcade game was just released as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because the NES game went by a different title. Remember we talked about it, how it went by Gekikami Ninja Den, Legend of the Radical Ninja Turtles. So if you wanted to play Legend of the Radical Ninja Turtles in Japan, that would be the first NES game, which was fun but difficult. And if you wanted to play Teen Mutant Ninja Turtles, that would be the beat-em-up arcade game. Now, the NES port is a fairly competent version of the arcade game, essentially remade for the 8-bit system. It includes two new levels, new enemy characters, two new bosses were added, Tora, a polar bear, and Shogun, a robotic samurai, and the original stages from the arcade were extended as well. Certain things were cut, such as the battle with Bebop and Rocksteady, and uh, Baxter Stockman's mutated fly form. The NES is also filled with product placement, specifically Pizza Hut logos. The rear cover of the manual included a coupon for the restaurant Pizza Hut, and the expiration date is listed as December 31st, 1991. Yeah, so don't go trying to claim that coupon. I mean, I, they'd probably honor it. Limited Run Games actually did a uh, release, a special release of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Cowabunga Collection, where they included a Pizza Hut coupon. Now, this version of the game, of the NES Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, Turtles 2, was ported to... The ZX Spectrum, the Amiga, the Amstrad CPC, the Atari ST, the DOS PC, and Commodore 64. And those ports were done by Probe Software. In Europe, the title of the ports were changed to Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, The Coin-Op. Now, a third NES game was released in 1991 in Japan and 1992 in North America, called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, The Manhattan Project. This game plays similarly to the NES port of the arcade game, but is solely a Famicom slash 
NES title without any arcade versions. The game follows a story where Shredder has turned Manhattan into a floating island. Knuckles would be very happy. In 1991, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Turtles in Time was released in arcades. Similar to the first arcade game, the game was also a scrolling beat-em-up. The game introduced a time travel element to the plot, where players must go to various time periods to stop Shredder's army who have stolen the Statue of Liberty with the help of Krang. A port of the game was also released to the Super Nintendo with the title updated to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4 Turtles in Time to keep with the naming scheme of the NES games. Turtles in Time, I feel like, is the... That is the beat-em-up game, right? The NES and the original arcade cabinet were good beat-em-up games, but Turtles in Time just... That's like a whole nother level. It's got big sprites. It's got the ability to throw the enemies, including the Foot Clan, into the, the screen um, when you're tossing them. The action is like poppy and it's just like really it feels like you're playing the cartoon. And I feel like Turtles in Time, for me at least, was really playing the 1987 cartoon in real time. A fourth NES game was also released, and pretty late in the life of the NES. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Tournament Fighters, released in 1993 for the Genesis and Super Nintendo, and 1994 for the original NES. Which, 1994, as you can already tell, was when the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis were already out. So it's a little odd that they decided to put a game out for the NES, but... Hey, Konami does what Konami does. And each game, while similar in regards to their standard gameplay, are actually fairly different. They are regarded as separate games entirely, if you ask anyone. Um, even the Kawabunga Collection lists them as separate games. Unlike previous games, Tournament Fighters wasn't a beat-em-up. It was a fighting game, similar to the Street Fighter series. Beyond the four turtles you play as in single-player mode, you can also play as any other character against CPU versions of the player, uh, of CPU versions of that character, with the exception of Hothead who you could not have Hothead fight Hothead because that would cause a glitch and it would make the sprites flicker too much and the game would crash. So you could not pair Hothead up against Hothead. However, the glitch was fixed in the Kawabunga collection. They called this enhancement the Clash of the Hotheads. That's fun. I feel like they probably made this game as they saw the success of Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat and were like, we have a property that people can fight each other in. Here we go. Yeah, and, and then they ported it to the NES because they were bored on a Sunday or something. <laughs> the uh, the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games for the NES was a commercial success. By the end of 1990, it had sold over 4 million cartridges and earned $125 million, about $295 million adjusted for inflation. Despite the success, it did have a relatively mixed reception with some publications. The Nintendo Power, in fact, ranked it 4 out of 5, and Electronic Gaming Monthly uh, had four reviewers and two, three out of the four, rated it six or below out of ten. And one rated it seven out of ten, with the lowest being four out of ten. And collectively, Electronic Gaming Monthly's reviewers called the original Teenage Mutant Turtle games... A disappointment. The arcade cabinet was also a success. It became so successful that Konami couldn't keep up with demands for production and instead outsourced the manufacturing to Dynamo Corp. With the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie releasing in March of 1990, the live action that Zach and I have referenced, we've also referenced it in the Tony Hawk episode because there's a, a big skate culture and the Foot Clan's a skater gang and really into peer pressure and drugs. The game received an additional boost. Outside of Japan, they sold over 25,000 arcade cabinets by 
May of 1990, and it was the highest grossing upright cabinet in the United States throughout the 1990s, with an average of $163 per cabinet earned on a weekly basis. So that's $25,163. That's a lot of money coming in every week. Outside of the U.S., the game also did well, being one of the top four highest grossing arcade games in the U.K. in 1990, and one of the top grossing cabinets in Hong Kong and Japan. The Famicom NES port of the arcade game scored very well, receiving a 26 out of 40 from Famutsa and 23 out of 25 from GamePro. Much better review, at least critic reviews, for the cabinet and the port versus the, the original game. Now, the Manhattan Project also scored fairly well, being given four out of five from all game and awarded the best nes game of 1992 by egm ah, the tides have turned tournament fighters also scored fairly well for the nes version but the snes and genesis version would ultimately score better mostly because the hardware was better the snes version uh, was listed as one of the top selling games of the snes games of january of 1994 and GamePro gave the snes version a 4.5 out of 5 for the graphics a 4.5 out of 5 for sound and five out of five for control and five out of five for fun which quantifiable I, yeah i feel like i mean i think i guess they're all subjective it's true the it's fun it is, is true. the most subjective <laughs> yeah fun is very subjective yeah where graphics sound and control are also subjective there is some level of objectivity between them yeah like like let's say this is in 1992 you th- showed me four games right you showed me like pong an Atari yeah. game, then showed me like an NES game, and then a Super yep. Nintendo game. Right there, yep. there's your scale, right? There's one through five. So five being the Super Nintendo game, one being Pong. But they're all fun. Like Pong right. is still fun. But is it as fun as a five out of five fun game like the Conquests for the Longbow? I don't know. And Robin Hood Adventure. Know. Maybe. Uh, the NES version of Tournament Fighters in recent years has been praised as being one of the better licensed fighting games for the system, but still falls short of games of the genre listed for later systems. It was a good NES game for sure, but there were better fighting games later. Now, in terms of the legacy, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is still very much around, both as video games, but also as comics, TV shows, and movies. Uh, Most recently, as Seth has referenced, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem released in theaters in August of 2023. For the games, in August of 2022, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Kawabunga Collection was developed by Digital Eclipse. This collection includes all of the games that we talked about today, but also includes Fall of the Foot Clan for Game Boy, Back from the Sewers for Game Boy, Hyperstone Heist for the Sega Genesis, and Radical Rescue for the Game Boy. Now, this collection not only features these original games, but also adds save states, rewind functionality, button mapping, and other functions like online play for certain games. The collection also includes both English and Japanese versions of the games where it's applicable. Prior to the release of the Kawabunga collection, Turtles in Time was actually remastered in 2009 in a re-release called Turtles in Time Reshelled, though it received pretty low scores and was eventually delisted from xbox live but they tried it again (laughs) but they did try it again as a tribute to the original arcade games turtles teenage mutant ninja turtles shredder's revenge was released in june of 2022 this is an entirely new beat-em-up game that is based on the 1987 cartoon with obvious influence coming from the arcade games of konami's time developing those games there's a lot of uh references more so in shredder's revenge to the 87 cartoon so if you are familiar with the 87 cartoon i think almost every person even the dimension x 
kids in the car are mentioned and referenced. So like everyone's mentioned at some point in time. Um, so it's a great little romp if you're uh, nostalgic for the uh, the cartoon. Well, that will do it for our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode. And it's probably something we're going to revisit again someday, especially with Mike, because I'm sure Mike would love talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and talking about the, the Playmates toys and how what those meant to him. Now let's get into our retro rewind. Seth had me play Spider-Man slash Venom Maximum Carnage. Seth's memory must be bad because I played this game back 100 episodes ago in episode 94. It is a side-scrolling beat-em-up from 1994 by Software Creations where you play as either Spider-Man or Venom or you play as both as it's a two-player game and you fight Carnage and his group of baddies including Shriek, Doppelganger, Demogoblin, and Carrion. It's based on the comic book story of the same name and it's a pretty good game. I like it. It's got these nice big big sprites uh, for the characters and uh, it's a Sega Genesis beat-em-up. You can't really go wrong with that. I would say it would be nice if there was a bit more uh, like speed with when you're playing a Spider-Man. He just kind of plays as any beat-em-up character would play. Uh, you kind of think of Spider-Man as like quick and and fast, but the Spider-Man's he's taking his time. Uh, and Venom is taking his time because he's much bigger. In any case, it, it's a fun game. It's pretty cool. It's based on the Maximum Carnage storyline that came out in the 90s. Uh, and the cartridge itself for the game is this really nice red cartridge if you ever see it. Um, though later releases are just the standard black cartridge or gray cartridge for the Super Nintendo. I also have actually a pretty strong memory with this game when it came when I was playing it again and it came up for me and that is on the VHS tape that we had for Spider-Man and his amazing friends there is an ad for just random Spider-Man games and one of those games is Maximum Carnage and I remember them promoting it and being like, Maximum Carnage coming out on Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo. And another ad that was in there was for Spider-Man and the X-Men Arcade's Revenge. So next week, Seth, you can play that. You can play the uh, Super Nintendo version. Now, Zach had me play Mecha Robot Golf for the SNES, which was released in Japan in 1992 and in North America in 1993. It's a golf game where you play against a robot. Now, did you ever want to play a slow-moving golf game all while watching a robot painstakingly play through its rounds? Well, I didn't want to, but I did. Uh, Mecha Robot Golf is a game where you play against a robot. This robot is barred from playing professional golf because he's a robot. So, you essentially buy him to play golf against you on your private golf course which I don't think is any better than discriminating against him and allowing him to play golf professionally you instead say come to my private island and play golf with me all day long which makes him a golf slave apart from that weird storyline it's a golf game where you play against a robot in three different modes a tutorial mode where it teaches you how to play the game a driving mode a driving range mode where you hit balls as far as you can and going head to head where you where you use uh, like a three-stage golf game where you like click, click, click kind of thing against a robot who also golfs just as slow as you. You don't play as the robot. You can't have somebody play as the robot and you have to watch the robot play. <laughs> there are better golf games out there that you can play if you're interested in playing better golf games. In fact, there are better golf games on the SNES <laughs> that you can play if you want to play a better golf game. Next week, Zach, you can play Rayman for MS-DOS. Thanks. One thing I wanted to mention real quick about Mecha Robot Golf before I forget it. Um, so in Japan, Mecha Robot Golf was actually originally released as Serozawa Nobu no Birdie Try, which translates to Noburo Serozawa's Birdie Try, which um, was based on professional Japanese golfer Noburo Serozawa. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, when yeah. it 
it came from Japan to America. They just turned Nobero Surazawa into a robot. Yeah, he's on the case and the box of the Japanese version. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he is it in the Japanese version, right? Yeah. You're just playing yeah. against him. There's no robots in his version. You're just playing against him, which is why you have to watch him play golf. Because right. it's his game. So... <laughs> So in this version, it's that you're watching him play golf, but he's a robot. Exactly. It's bad. It's not a good game. I'm sorry. I thought it looked like a fun game. So I'm sorry you had to go through that. There are more fun golf games. (laughs) That's saying something. Well, if you have any memories of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, if you're uh, from the UK, feel free to email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. We're available on Facebook, Classic Classic Gaming Brothers. Instagram, Classic Gaming Brothers, Twitter, and Blue Sky as CG Brothers Pod. And you can also find us wherever podcasts can be found, be it iHeartRadio, Podbean, or iTunes. And with that, I think that's everything. But if Seth wants to include anything, go right ahead. Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. Right. Michelangelo is a party dude.